so they rushed me from Meriden, Connecticut, Mid-State Medical Center, the Hartford, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut Children's Medical Center. And that was my home for 12 days. And for the first two days, I was completely unconscious. I woke up in the middle of the night uh, after the second day, and my mom was sitting right there, and I, I asked her what was going on. I was confused and, and agitated, and, 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 and um, she explained the whole situation. She said, you know, this is what happened. You went into cardiac arrest, and you're, this is where you are. We're at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. You're safe. You're okay. And I said, I looked at her, I said, okay. And then a minute later, I looked at her and said, Ma, what, what's wrong? Why am I here? Knowing when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. Though the world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Well, society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends, today, we are on the brink of greatness. Okay, friends, you've seen those stories uh, of young people. Sometimes it's a basketball player, a sports player, an athlete, a runner, a track runner sometimes. And sometimes they're in high school, college, or in professional sports for that matter. And you see that, uh, I always hear these stories like they have a heart attack, something happens, some sort of a problem. And I'm always caught at that moment to think, ah, that kid was only like 17 years old. What happened? Or, you know, the kid was 24. I mean, that's way too young. You don't think of heart problems with young people like that, clearly. At least I don't. And I think this is one of those stories today that uh, you'll see that it's, it's it kind of uh, uh, it's reminiscent of that problem where you see young people have a problem. I, I believe the term is called uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Is that correct, Mike? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. Yep. That's a mouthful, isn't it, brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like you to meet our Brink thinker today, Mike Papali, here. And uh, as we uh, join you here on the Brink of Greatness, it's Malcolm Out Loud here with Kevin Williams. And uh, we, as we take on this unique story, Mike, I want to bring it right back to the very beginning. It's always a great place to start. Now, you're a young man. You're about how old? You're a teenager, right? You're 16, yep. 17? How old? I was seven, yep, 17 years old. 17 years old. And you were one of those. Uh, I want you to take us right at that moment because from what I've gathered, you're one of those stories that could have been a casualty. I mean, you could have died. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, you know, I was 17 years old and I, and I went into cardiac arrest and, uh, you know, a lot of things didn't, didn't go the right way at first, you know, in order to survive cardiac arrest, you need to, um, have immediate CPR and you need to be quickly shocked by an automated external defibrillator. And, you know, no one did CPR on me right away because nobody really knew what to do and everybody was so surprised and, and didn't even, think that it could be something wrong with my heart because I was 17 because you're 17 and in shape and yeah. and all these factors and and the um, the building I was in when I had my cardiac arrest didn't even have an automated external defibrillator on their property um, in, in their building so you know not getting CPR right away and, and not getting not having the AED in the building made my chances to survive very very slim um, so 
I was I was lucky, you know, you know, statistically. Well, let's talk about that luck a moment yeah. here. So yeah. when that happened and you're 17 and you're you're on the court now when this happens, is that correct? You know what? I was actually I was at, I was uh, I was in a gym, but I was working at a basketball camp. So I wasn't actually playing. I was okay. just sitting on the, the bleachers next to a bunch of kids. Wow. Wow. All right. And so this thing hits you. I mean, what was can do you remember even that moment, what that feeling was like? Or do you recall any part of that feeling or was it like gone in a flash? You know what? I have no memory of um, two, two, uh, two hours before and two days after. So I can remember what I did in the morning, early in the morning. And, you know, from from that point, from about 8 a.m. to Two days after the event, I have I have complete memory loss. Wow, wow! So you don't remember? So you're total blockout, huh? Total yep, blockout. Please, yeah. Yep. Is that normal, Mike? With that kind of situation, have the doctor said? Yeah, yeah, it varies. So I think part of the reason why I, I had complete blackout for about two days was because I didn't get CPR immediately, and there was a lack of oxygen that was going to my brain. I see. Now, um, what kind of time are we talking that you didn't get the oxygen? What what length of time? About five minutes before someone. Five started. minutes. Yeah. Now, how how long can we be sustained without that oxygen? What's the, what's the max? Have they told you? You know, you know, everybody's different. Um, it, it, there's a variety of factors that go into it. I think, you know, something that helped me was the fact that I was younger. Mm-hmm. I was in good physical condition. Um, you know, I was an athlete, so my body was was in, in pretty good physical shape. And it varies by person, but statistically, they say if someone um, goes into cardiac arrest and they are shocked by an AED within a minute, they have a ninety percent chance to survive. Right. Uh, and each minute after, without being shocked, drops that person's chances ten percent. So, you know, you're really looking at like a ten minute window, and 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 of course, that includes if, if CPR is given right away. Right, right. Yeah, and in a 10-minute window, that's that's really stretching it, I believe. I mean, I think you get to the yeah. 8, 9, 10-minute mark, and you're, yep. you're, you're playing with, uh, you know, <laughs> superpowers yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So you're five minutes, and that's interesting where that happens. Five minutes go by, and that was, again, the oxygen problem and why there's no memory at all. In, it's like a void, a, a lapse in your memory bank. Very interesting. What happens when this takes place? Who's around you? Who reacts? What takes place? And what happens in five minutes? You know, it was a, it was a, it was a bunch of chaos. Uh, you know, my da- the camp I was working at was my dad's basketball camp. So he was, he was actually in an office outside the gym. My best friend was sitting right next to me, and my brother was on the court refing the game. So they watched, and, you know, my friend ran to get my dad. And, you know, people came in the gym. They tried to get the kids out. But nobody really knew that in that moment I needed CPR. You know, they were lifting my legs over my head. They were put they put a fan on me. They did a whole lot of things that weren't going to help me. Um, mm, wow. You know, but the one thing that somebody did, did do, which ultimately made the difference, was somebody called 911. And in the building next door, there was a guy. He was sitting at his desk, and he was a volunteer EMT. So when they called 911, he had his pager on his on his waist, um, and he he you know volunteer paramedics they they get the calls that go through and he got so the was calls. he a, was he an off duty paramedic of some sort exactly and and do you know his first name do you remember yeah I'm I'm I'm, I'm close friends with the guy today his name's Bob Bob thank you I just want to refer yeah. to him as a person Bob okay yeah. so Bob's next door he sees the message he he had an AED he had a defibrillator with him so so he didn't so what he did was he came over and he's the one that kind of took the chaotic scene and he 
organized it as best as he possibly could, and he started doing CPR. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did CPR for a few minutes. Now we're talking, he probably didn't get in there until five minutes after. Now he's doing CPR for six, seven minutes. And um, basically he did CPR so well that he, he kept me alive. He kept blood flowing. He kept my brain activity. And uh, he, he kept me going until the ambulance arrived. And when the ambulance arrived, the paramedics had an AED. Well, it sounds like Bob is your hero. Oh, 100%. Yeah, without Bob, I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, it sounds like that is the case. Um, yeah. So he yeah. does the CPR. See, what happens in those situations is, as you described just now, there's a tremendous amount of panic. And people don't know quite what to do. First of all, we don't know what the problem is, you see, you know, specifically. Yeah. And unless you're a trained expert, you really are at a loss, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately, my dad and my brother and my friend had to watch and they were they were helpless because they had never really been trained in CPR. They didn't they didn't even think that could be what I needed. They, and, they, you know, they, they thought that maybe I had low blood sugar, maybe I just passed right. out, maybe I hadn't eaten anything that morning, maybe I just fainted. And, so they you know. didn't know what to do, Mike, at that point. How did they describe that feeling today, that your, your dad and brother and all? What did, I mean, they've, they've seen it all happen. They... Yeah, it's, it's, to be honest with you, it's not something we, we talk a ton about. For my dad, it was the most terrifying thing he's ever been through in his life. I mean, he sat there watching his son basically die right in front of him. Which is what I'm asking, more or less. I mean, uh, yeah. th- that that is that was that the feeling or the sense they had? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I definitely think it was. Um, you know, my brother and my friend. Mm-hmm. I uh, I get rushed off into in an ambulance after this whole thing goes down, and my brother and my friend were there, um, in this building, just kind of like shocked that this this whole thing happened. And a, a few minutes later, you know, a few few I would say uh, within like an hour, a police officer walked in. And announced out loud that he was there to report on the death of a 17-year-old who was announced dead on arrival at the hospital. Um, so he had right, you. He had you as DOA then. Yes, and he said it right in front of my brother and my friend. So they thought you had died. Yes. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So the 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 amount of time from the start to the end where Bob does this and then does the CPR and all that. We're talking. We're talking at least 10 minutes, aren't we not? At least 10 minutes, yeah. And then, you know, an AED arrives probably within 10 to 12 minutes, and they they ran in, paramedics, there was four of them, mm-hmm. and they um, they put the pads on and shocked me and, uh, you know. Yeah, bring you back, bring you back bring through. You back, um, yeah. Mike, I want to yeah. ask you something that you, if you know the answer to this, uh, yeah. like these, AE, these AEDs, these defibrillators, yeah. exactly, okay? Now, these are in short supply around the world, from what I understand. And I, I remember studying this back. I did some work with some heart surgeons and, and cardiovascular folks and what have you. And uh, these are in short supply around the world. In fact, there are groups that try to get these out to a lot of these countries and third world countries to save lives. Do we have any idea what the numbers are of people who really die unnecessarily because of the lack of these AEDs? Yeah, so I can speak on... Uh, statistics in the United States. I, I don't know the world statistics, but I, I know in the United States each year, 365,000 people go into cardiac arrest out of hospital. So that's, you know, out in the community, at home, mm-hmm. um, you know, just out, out wherever. 365,000 people suffer from it and less than 10% survive. And probably less than that 10% is because they don't have the AEDs. They don't know how to do CPR and we're not prepared, right? 
Exactly. You know, it's it's a it's a combination of all of that. I, I think AEDs are starting to become more prevalent in communities, but right. they're not. They're, they don't do any good if people are around them don't know how to use them or That's people, exactly, are afraid, yeah. Yeah. people are afraid to use them I, i'm uh, just wondering now if we should have training more on this all of us actually because i don't i've never used one myself you know if again a few years back uh, kevin uh, we i was working with some groups to distribute those aeds around the world some really cool people in fact who were trying to get these into a lot of these countries and trying to save young lives there there's a massive problem around the world especially in, in countries that have l- far less capabilities than we do here. And you hear the numbers Mike throws out there, 360-some-odd thousand uh, casualties. Uh, this is pretty significant, I mean. And yeah. there's got to be something more to this. So we'll talk more as we get into this more about your organization in a heartbeat and all of that just ahead here. And then you can tell us more about what the goal is, what we're doing, all that. But so, so you, this happens, young guy. Now, you were going to pursue, is what I understand with your story, you were going to pursue a basketball career. I mean, you really liked basketball, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It was a huge part of my life. I mean, I, I grew up, um, my dad was a coach, and, and, you know, I grew up playing. And, you know, I, it was my goal to play basketball in college. And, you know, but in that summer when I had my cardiac arrest, I was starting to get recruited by all these colleges all over, uh, mostly in the Northeast, but mm-hmm. all over the place. And, you know, so my, my dream to play in college was starting to come true. And then, you know, in one moment, it, it all got taken from me. You know, I went to the hospital and, and you know, went through a variety of tests. And when they diagnosed me with hypertrophic uh, cardiomyopathy, um, you know, along with that, they, they said, I'd no longer be able to play competitive basketball. So, so they told you that right up front, that that was a no-go? Yeah, so before I even left the hospital, I mean, it was a, um, you know, it was a whirlwind of things going on, but it, it was, you know, my doctor's telling me, like, on one hand, you, you know, it was almost like, here's the good news is is based on your circumstances of not having a CPR or not having an AED in the building, your chance to survive are one in a million. Um, but the bad news is you're never going to play basketball again. Um, so, how- so it was like sitting there with pretty mixed emotions. How did you take it? I mean, this is your dream, and it was just pulled from you. Are you angry about it now, even today, or or you yes. recognize? No, good question. So at the time, yeah, I definitely had those feelings. Um, you know, because you know you're 17, and you don't have a really good um, understanding of the world and, and and what life is, and you know you think basketball is your whole whole world, and it was at that time. Um, so, yeah, of course, I, I definitely was. I had anger, depression, fear, anxiety, frustration, all those feelings. Um, of course, you know, I, and, and on top of all that, those bad feelings, I, I also felt really lucky because when someone sits in front of you and says, you know, you had a one in a million chance to survive, it's like, okay. Um, but, yeah, no, totally. It was it was the worst thing. Uh, and I had no idea, like, what to do. Like, that was, like, my life. And, uh, you know, looking back on it today – uh, I don't have those feelings anymore at all, um, at all, because it's it's really shaped my life, um, the whole the whole cardiac arrest and and what I'm doing, and I think there's so many people out there that that spend their whole lives um, trying to figure out what they're passionate about and what they want to do, and mine kind of got handed to me, and, and for that I feel kind of lucky. Well, um, Mike, that's yeah. the whole point of the brink right there. Everything you just said. I mean, when life throws you uh, that curveball. Uh, yep. The key is is to learn how to hit it, and a lot of the times, 
Uh, it's supposed to happen that way. Uh, things happen in our lives that take us on another path and another direction. I see this countless times, Mike, in Brink stories, uh, and they're purposeful. In other words, there's a bigger picture out there. Sometimes it's not destiny for us to do what we think we're going to do and something else happens or take place and changes that. I know for myself, I wanted to be a baseball player. I appreciate where you're at and because there's a there's a driving a mechanism in us as young men to want to do that. And sports is one of those things that, that pull out the very competitive spirit uh, in all of us. Mike, how, how tall are you? I got to ask you that. Being uh, uh, Six foot two. Oh, you're a, a small guy for basketball. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, was going, I, think you, I thought you were going to tell me six, seven, six, eight, something like uh, that at uh, least. Were you, a, were you a point guard? Were you a yeah. forward? Yeah, point guard, shooting guard. Wow. All right. So yeah, six two. That's not. I uh, gotcha. That's about what I'm. I'm about six feet myself. So I'm you know, not to get uh, pretty pretty close to where I'm at. Uh, basketball is not one of the ones I think I could have done. They they're towering figures in basketball, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> like really tall, man. You know. Um, but you just that just means you have to get uh, better prepared and more yeah. creative at your other skill sets, right, buddy? Of course, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. That's I love sports. I think it's it's a fantastic thing. You know, those people who get the pleasure of playing sports in their life or living truly, truly a blessing, amazing. But really, you just pointed out the big thing, and the big lesson up front for all of us here, people, is this: you know, we all have a place and a dream and a position in life to be able to. We're we're supposed to do something, and sometimes you have to. Those signs sometimes they're not as obvious as they were in Mike's role here. Now Mike's role, it hit him right all of, right on the head. I mean, it it was right there in front of him. When you see what he's done with his life now, within a heartbeat, and how he's trying to help others, this was a rallying call, obviously, for this this young man. And and some of us go through that. Life is funny that way. It takes us on a twist or turn. And so what I'm saying to you out there is don't don't reject those things, those signs that happen. Don't push them away. Don't um, don't be um, ignorant to the fact of things that are happening in your life that are supposed to happen. They're supposed to take you. To, that's the whole thing and the power of what really brink thinkers. Mike Papali is a brink thinker, clearly. I mean, life threw him this major curveball, and he decided to do something with it. Uh, it's it's a big deal here. And having dealt with heart myself and what goes on with these AEDs, uh, you have to have respect. And I'm still amazed, everybody, at our human body. I was just saying to somebody last night, it is truly amazing. Our bodies are a, we're a, all, each a walking miracle. Think about all the parts in your body. Think about who we are, how we're here. God, I have to tell you, man, we are all walking miracles. Just to be here is a miracle. And then what are we going to do with it, friends? Let's talk more about that in just a moment here. We'll be back on the brink. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. 
Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Okay, friends, we are back on the brink of greatness here. We're speaking to Mike Papali and uh, Kevin Williams, Malcolm Out Loud here. And uh, you hear this story. I, I've never really talked to anybody, Mike, who was in this position directly. It's, it's an honor to really have you here. And to talk about this, you've experienced this as a young guy. How old are you now, by the way? You're in your upper 20s, aren't you? 29. 29. You're going to be an old man soon, buddy. Cross the 30 mark, right? (laughs) You'll be be in good company, right, Kev? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm 29, too. He's holding. Kev's holding right there, man, at 29. I'm holding at 39, Kev. I'm younger than you. Get out of here. 29 double. (laughs) uh, uh, So... Mike, it, it is so true. We, we grow up, we learn so much. It's funny how we get to that sweet part of our life. And you can never replace experience in your life. You know, you know that as a young guy, right? When you're 17, yeah. 20, 20, the things we don't know in our lives, right? You know, and then experience is so valuable when we get that experience. And it's amazing to me. The sooner we get it, the better we all are, obviously. Mike, so at that point now, you, you um. Talk to me about the recovery time that this happens now. So now Bob, and, and let's hold Bob up real high because Bob is a hero here in all of this and being yep. next door. He comes over um, and he, so what happens from that standpoint? How long was your hospital stay? How long was the recovery stay? What happened when you got out? Because I have to tell you, these kinds of emotions you talked about a moment ago in the earlier part of the conversation here are very real. I mean, yep. and, and when Kevin asked, were you upset? Were you angry? It's a combination of emotions when trauma hits you. I know I experienced it in my own life. And when trauma hits you in such a way, you become very depressed, very sad, very internal. That's where you were, Mike, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I was, I, was, I was there. Just try. It was almost like a why me like why this happened exactly. to me? Like what did I do to deserve this type type feeling? Um, again, because at the time, you know, I, I I didn't have any any uh, understanding of the big picture of life, and um, but but yeah, no, totally. I and, and so you want me, I can take you from like uh, when Bob when Bob uh, got there to kind of yeah. How long of a time was you was you laid yeah. up with all of this? When did you get back on your feet? What happened? Yeah, so I you know I went from. Um, you know, Bob did what he had to do. Paramedics came. I got shocked um, by an AED. They put me in an ambulance. Um, they rushed me off to a hospital. And on the way to the hospital, I went to cardiac arrest again. Um, and then that's actually fairly common. Right. Um, is because your heart is taking a whole lot of trauma, right? When it goes from cardiac arrest to getting shocked with like 200 joules of electricity. Um, that's a lot of trauma on the heart. So my heart went back into a cardiac arrest. Um, and they had to shock again and, and get it out. So they rushed me to a hospital and, you know, my mom, like I said, my, my dad and my brother were right there. My mom was at home and she got the call from my dad that, you know, no parent really wants to ever get to hear something's wrong with one of their kids. And my mom, as she was driving, she thought by the time she got there, I'd just be sitting up. Um, you know, I just would have, I passed, fainted, the heat, whatever it was. And on the way on her drive, she heard the ambulance um, and she saw my dad sitting in the front seat. And they rushed me to a hospital, and I got to a hospital in, um, in Meriden, Connecticut, uh, called Mid-State Medical Center, and they decided they didn't want me to stay there. Uh, they were going to uh, throw me in a helicopter, 
and they were going to bring me to Hartford, Connecticut, to the Connecticut Children's Medical Center. So they wanted to get you to a to a more premium place for that care you needed. I, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And um, and then they changed their mind. They said we don't want to put them in a hospital. So my parents, I, I mean, they didn't. I'm sorry. They they changed their mind. They didn't want to life star me. They didn't want to put me in the helicopter. And my parents thought that was a good thing because they said if you know if he doesn't have to get life star, maybe he's not that critical. And the reason they didn't want to put me in the helicopter is because the helicopter wasn't big enough to hold all the equipment they needed to uh, to keep me alive for transport. So they rushed me from Meriden, Connecticut, Mid-State Medical Center, the Hartford, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut Children's Medical Center. And that was my home for 12 days. And for the first two days, I was completely unconscious. I woke up in the middle of the night uh, after the second day, and my mom was sitting right there, and I I asked her what was going on. I was confused and, and agitated. And, 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 and um, she explained the whole situation. She said, you know, this is what happened. You went into cardiac arrest and you're, this is where you are. We're at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. You're safe. You're okay. And I said, I looked at her. I said, okay. And then a minute later, I looked at her and said, Ma, what, what's wrong? Why am I here? So for that, and that lasted for about a day. I had no short-term memory. I would have people come in and visit me and I could tell them something that had happened five years prior, right. a basketball game, whatever it was. But, but one of the cards, I was obsessed with the cards people were sending, and, and I'd, I'd pick up a card, I'd read it, and I'd, I'd go through it, I'd put it down, and I'd look at my mom, and I'd say, Ma, can I read that card? Like I had never read it before. Um, and this lasted, it lasted about a day, and, and doctors weren't sure if it was, it could have lasted, you know, they thought at the time there was a chance it could last for the rest of my life. Um, but... Slowly, my memory came back, and you know the first things I really remember were going through the tests, going through my uh, cardiac MRI, uh, cardiac catheterization, mm -hmm. echocardiogram, EKGs, um, and then eventually having the doctor come in and tell me my diagnosis of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and you know, like we talked about, telling me how slim my chances were to survive, telling me I'd no longer be able to play competitive basketball. And also telling me that I had to have a um, an implanted defibrillator. They were going to do surgery, and they were actually going to put and it's called an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, um, known as an ICD, and they were going to put it in my body. And and it basically it serves just like an AED does. If I ever were to go into cardiac arrest again, it's it's there to shock me back immediately. So you had that put in at that time. So I had it placed to be up when I was 17. Okay, and it's still there, obviously, and it and it does it ever does that function all the way through, or does it go bad, Mike? So, so yeah, so it's still so, it's uh yeah, so after the battery lasts about eight years, okay. um, so I had a battery change, um, when I was twenty five, and, you know, thankfully mine just kind of has been there. It hasn't ever shocked me. It hasn't ever needed to shock me. Mm -hmm. It hasn't given me a faulty shock. It just kind of sits there, and and um, obviously the hope is if I ever need it again, it. It, it does what it needs to do. Mike, I want to ask you, how many siblings do you have? I have one younger brother. One younger brother. Okay. How much yeah. younger? He's four years younger. Okay, great. And uh, your mom and dad, uh, you're, um, I just visualize, uh, I was really uh, moved by when you woke up in the middle of the night and your mom is there. Yeah. And I'm just, I was moved by that moment, Mike, um, yeah. because... I sense the spirit of life for those around us who love us and the, the, the passion of the, I'm, I'm speaking of the human spirit here 
is is truly truly amazing to me and i can see that moment you know when when a loved one is there like you say you wake up in the middle of the night you know some people maybe aren't so blessed to have a loved one there to have a mom there or a dad there or somebody you know and but that's the power of that connection with people i think that's just something to focus on a moment did that i i'm assuming i don't know what your relationship with mom and dad were before that but this had to bring you this had to have brought you closer yeah, I mean, my, my relationship with my, my, my family was always very strong, but yeah, I think it did. I think it made us um, appreciate it even more. You know, my my parents and my brother were the ones that were, uh, there was a lot of people that visited me and a lot of people that were there, but it was those three that, you know, carried it. and um, That carried it. That's exactly, yeah. My, yeah. My, yeah, my mom and dad mm-hmm. moved in. They, wow. You know, uh, into the hospital for 12 days. They gave him a little room. Uh, I wasn't because you know at the time I was 17, so I was technically still a pediatric patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in the children's hospital, and and they have bunks for parents that have mm-hmm. kids that are going to be staying there. And and they didn't sleep. They were there, and um, you know I've I've told people this uh, all the time. You know I I went through it. Uh, it happened to me, but it was harder for them. You know, it's harder for them. It was harder for my brother. I didn't have to watch. I didn't have to sit there during the surgeries. I didn't have to um, wonder if I was ever going to wake up from the being unconscious. I didn't ever have to sit there and wonder if my my short term memory was ever going to come back. I just I just remember. You know, I don't remember any of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, there are a lot of unknowns when we get to a point of crisis like that. Uh, like when the doctors say, well, we don't know if your memory will come back fully or if this is more permanent. You know, you see those situations, Mike, and there are so many unknowns, right, that we don't really know, you know, that, I mean, there are no guarantees, right? I mean, no, you know, no, no, it, it no, is no. what it is. And the doctors don't always know is my point. They don't really always know. I mean, we no, expect them to know, Mike, yeah. but how do they know? They're not, they're not God. No, and they they do the best they can to be honest and be truthful and state the facts, and also at the same time, which I'm very thankful for, is um, and, and as they were being honest and telling me about how this was going to change my life, they put our help put our fears at ease. You know that that's kind of what they related with my parents and they related with me and. Um, again, it was they didn't always deliver news that we wanted to hear. They were honest exactly, about everything. Exactly. Well, you got to well, have the truth. I mean, you got to yeah, have the truth yeah. in no matter what. Now, let me ask you the this um, the outlook. Let's so where you're at right now in your life. Because I, and I want to ask you about your. Well, let me just ask you now. Your parents and your your brother. Is any other family members involved in the organization in a heartbeat? They are, um, but the, those are the only family members. It's my. They're they're both on the board. Oh, I mean, all three of them are on the board. Oh, fantastic, fantastic! So you have them on the board of directors for the organization. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, fantastic, great! Yeah. I love that. So you've made it a really a family unit as well yeah. as some others. Yeah. The passion of all of ours, you know. It's... They have a passion for this as well. I mean, right? They, yeah, they speak yeah, about it, talk about it. Right, right. All right. right um, but, but but Malcolm, just think about it. after he got out of the hospital. Right. Immediately, he had the he wanted a need to help others. And I believe you you and your mom like contacted the America Heart Association. Yeah, yeah. So you know that's that's kind of how the whole thing started, um, and and that's credit to my mom because I was seventeen. And again, when you're seventeen, you don't think to do things like that. Um, Is that when you I, started this organization at seventeen, or was it far so, later? Uh, so what happened was I uh, you know we got home from the hospital and uh, 
the first thing we did was go meet Bob and the paramedics that saved my of course, life. Of course. Um, and, and the second thing my mom did was she said she had set up a meeting with the American Heart Association. And, you know, this is funny because I like a typical 17 year old, when your mom tells you she wants to do something, usually you want to do the opposite. <laughs> and and she, she told me that I kind of fought her on it. And it was almost like my, my feeling was like it happened and I survived and like, let's just move on with our lives. Um, but again, that's the 17 year old's mind is and my mom wild. Wow. My mom was the, uh, the one that was like, no, listen, you can, you can like make an impact on people. You're like the, you could, you could be like the poster boy for this. Like, look at you, you know, no one ever think you had something wrong with your heart and you did, you almost died and you can bring so much awareness to this. So Mike, what you know, is your mom's, what is your mom's name or first name, please? Uh, her first name is Joan. Joan J-O. and your dad, uh, Mike, Joan and Mike. Okay, great. Mike, yeah. All right. So, yeah, so we went to the Heart Association and I met with two of their employees and and we signed up to be spokespeople and we signed up to be volunteers for the Heart Association. Um, And that's what really got me going and and helped me kind of like say, okay, this is like I could I could make a difference and I can have an impact and um, I could do a lot of things to help other people. And and we walked out of the meeting and I said to my mom, you know, I was like, you know, I don't really know what I want to do, but I could I could see myself working for a heart association someday. Um, and, I, and I never actually did that, but it kind of was like a, a little foreshadow for like what I end up, you know, what I'm doing now. And then I guess you became a lobbyist. Yeah. So we, <laughs> um, yeah, a volunteer lobbyist. Not, not <laughs> um, what was your lobbying uh, for? Yeah. So when we, um, you know, when, when I was 17, they had brought forward a bill. Uh, in the state of Connecticut that made it mandatory for um, AEDs to be placed in all public schools. And, and uh, you know, the timing worked out in that it happened right around this time. I don't, I can't recall if they, they did it after it happened to me or what, but my mom and I would go to the Capitol building with, you know, the, the lobbyists from the American Heart Association um, and some other volunteers and some other survivors that were a little older than me and we would go and we would sit and we would lie we would we would speak and tell our story and um talk about why this bill should get passed and after about a couple years we sat there and watched um at the time it was governor uh, jody rell um she signed a bill into law and i think it was 2009 so it was pretty cool like we got to kind of like see the whole thing through so this was this was an 09 and this was throughout the state of connecticut now Yes, and this was to uh, to mandate putting AEDs again, the automated external defibrillator, in all of the schools. Yeah, because they didn't have them before this point, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. You know, there was yeah, there was no no law. It was just some schools did, some schools didn't. So you were sort of gut behind this, and this kind of made you feel good at that point uh, that you were able to do this. And and uh, so, what was the um, what was the um, impetus that uh, that from that point to created and founded in a heartbeat why is it that what i'm most curious in mike is um what was the need within the heart the uh, so uh, i'm not so much worried about well this is what i want to do for a living like a 17 year old would say like and you're right with that but now what was the need within the whole heart community with everything you had learned where you are what was the problem that was um uh, that, that was talking to you somehow that you felt like okay this is a real problem and I can really help with this. What what was that? Yeah, so I, I would say it was it was hearing about other young children that were dying, and it wasn't just in Connecticut. It was it was all over the country. That's right. Um, That's you right. know, we were. It was something that we had talked about 
you know, we, we, we talked about it when I was 17 and, and 18 and 19 and 20 and through college and my family, my friends, we were always like, man, we, we should start our own nonprofit and, and work with these other organizations. We're all the same mission and just have like, you know, do some stuff on our own too. And, uh, we never did it. We did, you know, we, we just talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And, uh, I had, like I, I mentioned uh, quickly before, I had a, a minor complication when I was uh, 25 when I had my ICD battery changed, and I, I had to go through kind of a little bit of a recovery. It was a recovery where I was sitting on the couch for a while, and I was sitting there for about six weeks um, on and off, and I was like, I got to stop talking about doing this, and we just got to do it. Like we just gotta, we gotta like figure out how we're gonna like. We just gotta like take one step and and get it started, and it's gonna happen. So now you were thinking internally about it because this is the time where you have the you had the other procedure to replace the battery and all of that, and yes. that gave you time to think about it because you had to go through another heart surgery, right, to have that done. Yeah. So what happens is it's a, it's a pretty routine surgery. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, but what happened was, so they replaced the battery, and when they they do this, they actually. They put your body into cardiac arrest when you're after they, you know, they put you, they close it up, the wound, and because right. they want to see this device work, mm-hmm. like they actually want to see it work. They they don't they don't want you to leave the hospital until they know this thing is going to work and save your life. So mm-hmm. uh, when they did that, it didn't work. Um, so they of course they have backup plans uh, to to do something if. You know, basically they have an external defibrillator that they're going to use if, if it doesn't work. So I come out of surgery. I was 25 at the time, um, and I was I was a college basketball coach actually, and came out of the surgery, and they said, you know, they were like, we can't send you home. Uh, we got to figure out how we're going to make this work. So the next day I went in, I had another surgery, and they they installed a third wire. So the the ICD that I had had two wires, and they added a third one to give it more power make it work yeah. and it worked yeah. um mm-hmm. but in one of those two surgeries and i don't know which one i caught a bacterial infection um and it didn't show itself for about a month or a month and a half um which led to and, and i apologize like you can tell me if, i don't want to I don't, I don't i can go into a little bit of detail about this if you want to hear the story but if i don't want to i don't want to take up <laughs> too much time either so um uh but you know basically it led to some other things that happened that um i was in another like life or death situation and um fortunately I, I survived but it was another scary scary day for my family so mike you've had a series of these setbacks i guess these big lifetime setbacks that uh things didn't always go where they should have went huh i mean they didn't always work that way and um what i also just discovered with what you said is that you were i, I was really pleased to hear a moment ago that you were a coach a college coach basketball coach is that what you said yeah yeah i did that for that's uh, cool yeah for six years when i graduated i did college. not realize that i'm so glad you brought that up so that that makes sense that you became a coach within the basketball that kind of filled that need a little bit yeah and that was good uh and then uh, so at that point now so this is good so i i, I mean your story is is um is significant. I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting story and your passion to want to help others. So you're at that point now, you go through the procedure, things haven't gone well. So now the impetus is you're telling yourself, okay, I just need to do something. I mean, it wasn't just the one thing at 17. You've, you had a multiple of things now yeah, that happened. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it was, yeah, it was, but it was a second one that was like, maybe made me kind of have that 
moment of like. If I don't do this now, I'm going to regret it. Somehow. Well, maybe that was another sign, buddy. I mean, it, yeah. it could have been. Yeah. As I told you, it wasn't going to be something else. Sometimes we we push the obvious. As I said to you moments ago, you 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 must have been smiling inside when I said that, Mike. You know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because we don't always, you know, we we don't always embrace what should we should embrace, which is in front of us. I mean, I totally get this story. I mean, I totally get it. Pause here and come back, friends. Let's find out and discover together more of what the plans are, what in a heartbeat is, uh, what's going to happen. It's Again, it's people on the front lines that are doing amazing work uh, out there. And that's what this is all about. You've got to embrace humanity. We'll be back on the brink in just a moment. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. You've seen those stories out there where athletes, sports players, and others that are very active, you know, really in the prime of their life, you would think, and something happens, and you say, what's the matter with the heart? And it happens. So, anyways, it's Malcolm Out Loud here. We're with Kevin Williams. So the organization that you have founded now if you if, if if you all have followed the story up till now you'll see the setbacks everything that's happened with mike where he's at uh and then let's look at this now in a heartbeat.org in a heartbeat.org great site great stuff you're doing now all right so you decide to take the leap i know my you know mike you're gonna love this my whole mantra here with Brink of Greatness is make the leap forward. It's, 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 it's really all about that next leap. So it's the next leap forward. So a lot of people don't take that next leap forward for whatever reason. So you took the next leap forward. You had been telling yep. yourself you need to do something with this. You finally did it. Bring us to that moment now when that happened, what it was like and what you did. Yeah, you know, like I said, you know, it was, I, I told myself when I once I was fully recovered from that last surgery that I was going to, I was going to figure out how to, how to do this. And, and I had no idea, um, even where to start. Um, so I started where I kind of start everything I've, I've kind of done in my life the last few years. And that's with, uh, Google. Um, and it was like how, like typing into Google, how do you start like a nonprofit? So you started, <laughs> you started researching and digging yeah, and cause so you had to make this into a 501 C three, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah so then yeah. it was, and that, that's what I, found it's like okay if you want to do this you have to have a 50 you want to make it a 501c3 um in order to be able to accept donations from people and 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 from there it was okay how do we do that um so i began researching how to become you know get 501c3 status with the irs and um it's not particularly easy and and i understand why (laughs) because the irs yeah the IRS, you know, you, they want to make sure that people that have 501c3s are doing the right things with their 501c3. So right. there are strict guidelines that go with it. So I wanted to make sure we did this the right way. So I, through reaching out to people, was connected with some nonprofit lawyers that specialize in nonprofit business. Um, and we raised some money. 
uh, we, we, we How did create, you raise the money? You put a message out there saying you wanted yeah, to start the organization and raise no, it? Did, yeah, yeah. We created a um, a really corny logo. Like, it was really, like, corny. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, uh, <laughs> we found a website where there was no upfront cost. It was like we were selling T-shirts, and everybody went through the website, and the company kept the portion, and we got a portion. And we, we raised X amount of dollars, and – we use that money to hire lawyers to get us five hundred one c three. You were a capitalist, brother. You were a cap- yeah. entrepreneur, a capitalist, yeah. huh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now wait a minute. When you were younger, were you a capitalist? Then what I'm asking is, did you do the the lemonade stands, sell encyclopedias, vacuum clean, any of that stuff? Did you sell things as a young kid? Uh, not as you know no. what my no, not as much. It's surprising. Okay. I did you have I, a newspaper route? I've had to learn. I didn't even do that. You wow. know what I was. My, the, the extent of my working when I was a kid was like at basketball camps and clinics. And like, I'm telling you, that was like, that was my basketball. That was your was life. Point. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Um, I ask you because I did all that. I did the newspaper routes. I did the lemonade yeah. stands, the vacuum yeah. encyclopedias, door to door stuff. It made me into a star sales guy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You need to. Yeah. 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 It's a hell of a training, well, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Well, Malcolm, I had a paper route. But what I did is I outsourced it to other girls to do the delivery and I'd make half the money, and they did all the work. Now, Kevin, Kevin, my young man, we call that pimping. We call that pimping. Yeah, That's yeah, not legal now. You can't tell. Uh, listen to him. No, listen to him, I, Mike. Come I on. I thought it was a great way of getting the Listen to him, Mike. He, he's pimping. He's selling the newspaper out to the young lady so he doesn't have to do the work. <laughs> That's hey, I call that great capitalism. Oh, all right. <laughs> what do you think, Mike? <laughs> forward, forward thinking, man. You're ahead of your time. Well, he may be. He may be. That's funny. That's funny, Kev. Uh, Oh, I, I, those are the days, Kevin. I'll tell you, I had a series of routes, uh, newspaper routes. I made a little business out of it. You actually made good money as a kid uh, doing that stuff, you know, but um, it, it was always interesting. Yeah, we had to do a show one time on that as a young entrepreneur. I've, I've got all kinds of stories I'll share with you at another time, people, but it's really funny stuff. So, so you do, so you do the research. Yeah, how long did it take? Eight months, ten months, a year to get the five hundred one C three? Less than that, I would say. Really? About half a year. Oh really? I'm surprised. That, Six months that, you had it, huh? Yeah, and that's between that's between doing some research, meeting with people, just just calling people that I knew that kind of okay. in our community that had done something similar. Um, in terms of like running a, a foundation, um, and then it was like I set up a meeting with the lawyers, which was really cool. Um, it was like the first like, like I again I was coaching college basketball, so I wasn't like in the corporate world, but like I, I had to go down to like Hartford, Connecticut, and and go in this like huge building on the top floor it was really cool and i was like okay this is um this is legit like we're gonna do this the right way and so and then i met with them we decided we were gonna hire them to file all the paperwork to the irs to get us you know 501c3 and we did that uh and 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 that that process takes a few months Mm -hmm. so that was like i would say we did this and the meeting was in june um, and we got our 501c3 status October 2nd, 2015. So, you know, it took a few months to go through that. And then once once we got the 501c3 status, mm-hmm. we right. we right. just we just started 
plugging along. Well, and I want to tell people right up front here, as you look at your website here, and by the way, the website, all the links are going to be on both AmericaOutloud.com and TheBrinkOfGreatness.com. But again, there's a new new tab on the Brink of Greatness, uh, which says Brink Charities. Uh, we have in a heartbeat in there now as you listen to this, and you can go make a donation. It's right there on the front page, and you yeah. can help Mike out in the cause moving forward. And you know, a lot of times, friends, a lot of the great groups of people we have in here what i encourage you to do is this you know it's not like we just need to spread the good news around so you know even if you got fifty dollars a hundred dollars every fifty a hundred dollars matters basically right mike i mean everything matters you know so you put 50 take a few of these like this one in a heartbeat and there's some other phenomenal charities in there that we should all be supporting and put fifty a hundred dollars in each of them a few of them that you you'll feel good tonight when you do that and uh, and you'll help some some um, really people who need it now your mission which is what i want to talk about right now in a heartbeat your mission it says here well you tell us what your mission is i'm reading it on the site but tell us what is it so yeah so our mission is pretty pretty simple it's to prevent death from sudden cardiac arrest and hypertrophic cardiomyopathy Mm -hmm. hypertrophic Um, cardiomyopathy yeah 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 hcm it's yeah hcm exactly and it's um it's pretty basic because you know we don't want to we 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 started off with two programs that we were doing okay um the first program was donating aeds so we you know we call it our aed donation program and we donate aeds to schools businesses families organizations that need them um and with our donations we help provide training because like we talked about earlier these devices are great and they're prevalent and they're starting to get out there more but they don't do any good if nobody knows what to do with them and we help set up emergency action plans so you know, especially at schools, if a, if a child goes down, there needs to be a plan that's going to help save the child's life. People need to know what they're going to be doing. Should we all have a defibrillator in our homes and businesses, Mike? I certainly uh, believe so. Um, it, what does a defibrillator cost? What's it cost, please? So it's it's so to be honest, it's it, it's a bit unrealistic for to say everybody should have one in their home because um, okay. they do go for twelve to fifteen hundred. Get out of here. That much money. Twelve to fifteen hundred dollars. Now is there a movement to try to lower the cost of these things? I I think there I think uh, manufacturers are trying to figure out ways to lower the cost so that they can get them out. Now what makes it so costly? Is it just that people are in the in the food chain to make money with it, or is there some big expensive thing of this? Or is it just like most of healthcare? It's a supply and demand kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't, I don't completely know the answer to that. Um, well, I bet you it's a supply and demand kind of thing. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, so, yeah, a lot yeah. of times it yeah. is. Maybe, maybe that's a business we should start next, Mike. And uh, yeah, yeah, you, you're ready to do that. We'll, we'll, Kevin yeah. and I get in with you on that deal. So uh, we'll manufacture them ourselves, right? We'll, yeah, we'll that's do it from it. Kevin's kitchen sink. We'll do it there. Yeah, we'll make these things up. So. <laughs> All right, so so I'm I'm seeing all the facts here on all of this. Your site is very good. You put together this whole site. Now you're you're trying to raise awareness. You're trying to. So are you working just? Give us a geographical bounds. So what, how far out do you go? Is it is it just predominantly in the northeast? Is it throughout the nation? Is it worldwide? So what are you doing? That's, so we donate a lot in Connecticut because that's our community. Um, so we've donated. So we've donated sixty eight AEDs so far. Really? Uh, yeah. So we've donated sixty eight of them. Now again, majority in Connecticut. But we've also donated in um, New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. Florida, Tennessee, California, Washington, Nevada. And so Oregon. you've reached out. All right. So now, do you get? Yeah. Now, I got to ask you this question. It's a tricky question, yeah. but uh, but uh, yeah. do you get a better price on them? 
Yes. So, so can we and now? Do you do you have them for sale on your site? We don't. We don't. We don't. But should you do sell. that? Is that another line of possible revenue? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I get in on that deal? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, you know, we um, we've had some people reach out, and I'll help them get them at a better cost. But you know, we don't typically uh, make money off off of uh, selling okay. them. Gotcha. Well, that's not the business you're in specifically. Yeah, yeah. But if you yeah. did do that, that money would go to resources to be able to help yeah. for you to help other people, Cody, you know, yeah. right? That's I mean, if you could get a right deal on it or something. So, uh, yeah. well, you'll have to let me know. I don't know. I, you know how to use it now, right? I'm, I'm sure you've studied all this now. You know how to use yeah. it, the defibrillator? Of course. Yeah, of course. Actually, yeah, actually, if you look at it online, I mean, it looks pretty straightforward. It's what I, I mean, thought, it, Kev. What I thought. It pretty much you put it on, it tells you clear and it says wait, and it yeah. knows when to So why all the money, Kev? Why are they so expensive then? Uh because there's these ruthless capitalists. Supply <laughs> and demand. Supply That's and right. de- it's always that, man. You know, yeah, what's what's the value of a life? You think about it in those terms. When you think of healthcare, it really rips me up, guys. Because when you think of a value of a life and you think of how many people die unnecessarily, it's pretty sad, isn't it? Oh yeah. I mean Right. I, I mean, mean it, they should be giving these away. Almost it pains me, like, Kev. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, Kev. It pains me, Kev, to see these things. Really, it does. But that's the nature of healthcare, And, you know, and I, I say that to you from a conservative mindset, but I think these are things we all should have. I mean, to the degree we can. But again, nothing's free. Nothing's cheap, is it, people? Huh? You know, no. <laughs> life is never that way, is it, buddy? You know, it, Takes money, costs money. So, what are the future plans? Talk to us in a moment's week. Let's take the last few minutes and talk about the grand. I love grand plans. Let's talk about your yeah. grand plans. I I love your story, Mike. I love everything we've talked about. I love what you're doing. It's it's. Um, we hope you. We hope you're be a new friend here on the brink of greatness with us, and anything we can do to help you. But give us an idea of what's ahead, what's going to happen, and what you plan to do here. Yeah. So so yeah. So basically, when when we first started, we had the AD donation pro uh, program, and then we had a. Um, I call it a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy research funding program because what we, you know, in that program we were taking money and we would just donate it to research projects that specifically helped further the overall knowledge of HTM. Um, now going forward, since we started, um, you know, we've donated more money and we've donated more AEDs each year, but we've also added programs. Um, and one of the programs is a support program. Um, and that's where we try to support other patients that have heart disease, that have cardiac arrest survivors, that are living with an ICD and their families. Um, because I know when I was 17, um, you have your doctors and you have to learn to trust your doctors, but I never was able to talk to a younger patient that I could relate with, that I could ask questions to that, you know, kind of had to navigate having the disease before I did. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a small support group that we're trying to grow. Um, and then we, we have one more program that we're in the process of adding in right now, and that's our screening program. And, and with this, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to start a screening program, um, and we're going to start it in Connecticut. And we want to go into high schools, and we want to give the students free EKGs. Um, because if I, my EKG is very abnormal, and if, if I had an EKG in high school, um, they wouldn't have been able to diagnose me but they would have known something was wrong and they would have sent me for further testing. And if they did that, I might not have had that near death experience that day. Um, so that's another big goal of yours then. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. we're going to try to go into high schools. We're going to yeah. try to provide EKGs and try to catch 
catch these diseases in kids before they have a sudden cardiac arrest. That well, that's a beautiful that. thing, man. Now, now you're um, you're a speaker as well, are you not? You're an inspirational speaker. I am, yeah. yeah. So I, and that's that's a kind of a separate. Yeah, of course it would be. Yeah, no, I see it here. I'm going to put all the links in the post to this. You'll see it all, people. And there's a great video. He's got got a demo video about his story. It's called Attack Your Dreams. I love that. Attack Your Dreams. That's... That's what, what, what we're all about here, people. Attack your dreams. Let's all attack our dreams, please. If anything you pick from this story, pick that message up and run with it. Um, Mike, so yeah, your website is mikepapali.com, P-A-P-A-L-E, michaelpapali.com. Michael, and the yeah. links are in there. The links are all in there. Um, so, um, so I see that, and that's because so you're a speaker, and you go out and you speak about your journey, right, Mike? Yeah, right? yeah. so yeah, so I... Uh, I Exactly. I talked that's about another career for you, isn't it? Journey. Yeah. And it's something that I need to do a better job building, to be honest with you. It's something I haven't done a, a great job of. And it's well, you're busy really... over with the in a heartbeat. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. That's exactly. what's happening. Yeah. Exactly. Everything is time and alive. Now, I got to ask you this before we lose time here. So I'm on yeah. your site, which is uh, in a heartbeat and who we help. And I see the picture. Now, you're there. That's you, I assume, holding uh, the um, uh, what is that, a defibrillator or something in your hand you're holding in that picture there, yep. right? Okay, that's a defibrillator, I take it, right? Yeah. And you're holding that, and that is that Bob next to you? So it is not Bob next. Bob is not in that picture. Okay. So that is our board. Okay. Um, okay. That is people from our board. And the guy in the green shirt there mm-hmm. is a guy we donated um, an AED oh, to. Oh, beautiful thing, beautiful thing. And the gentleman on the side of him is your brother, clearly, right? That's your brother? My brother is no. My brother's all the way to the left. The guy next to him is—he's actually—that's where we get our AEDs from. Boy, he looks like you. He looks like a spitting image of you. By golly, you could be brothers. Your brother's all the way to the other side in the red shirt. Yes, got it, got it. And your dad is to to your side. My dad is in the gray shirt. Yeah, I knew it. I knew that was your dad. Yeah, and your mom is to this side here. Uh, All uh, to the left, next to my brother. Okay, got you in the black shirt. Perfect. All right. Beautiful family. Uh, awesome stuff. Had to ask you that, buddy. I'm going to put that picture in the post as well. You can all see what I'm talking about. So <laughs> had, to, had to know. It's very good. Mike and Joan, right? Yep. Yeah, good. God bless them and, and your family. What's your brother's name, by the way? John. John. Okay. All right. Well, listen, keep in touch. Um, Definitely. This is, uh, this again, The Brink of Greatness airs on Saturday and Sunday on America Out Loud Talk Radio, friends, as you know. And you can reach the show there, uh, Mike Papali. Again, you heard the michaelpapali.com is the inspirational speaking site. Check them out, please. And also with the inaheartbeat.org. You'll find it under the Brink Charities, right in Brink of Greatness, friends. Uh, I'm excited about all of this, excited to bring these stories to to life and to be able to uh, get them out there because it's all about awareness. It's all about bringing awareness. And and I, I firmly believe there's so much good news out there and people that are doing awesome things on the planet. And really, nobody's talking about it. And my goal here, people, is to make is to get people to talk about all this. So we want to talk about different things. We, we don't want to just talk about murder, mayhem, and rape. We want to talk about the good stuff that's going on in the world. And there's a lot of good stuff out there. That's the point of this whole thing on the Brink of Greatness, friends. So thank you. Tell your friends about the program. Get it out there. Also, remember to subscribe on the podcast, by the way. The podcast has, has been changed now every Tuesday is a podcast on the platform. You'll see it on americaroutloud.com, across all our networks, and on brinkofgreatness.com. Friends, thank you for being part of the journey here today, and the brink of greatness can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and limitations that are holding you back. What's holding you back, friends? Friends,
remember to take the next leap forward.